Let's start off with a little quiz. What happens every year December 25th? All right, Christmas, celebrating Jesus' birthday. Very good. What, this is a little harder. What happens every year? This year, it's on a Thursday, November 22nd. What do we celebrate? Thanksgiving. Very good. This one should be much easier. What, what do we celebrate every year, September 2nd? My birthday. All right. What do we celebrate, or really that's not the right word, what do we recognize, what do we emphasize every year? This year it's November the 4th. Nope. The 6th is election day. Today. You didn't like my quiz? Wait, where are you going? We, we focus on the persecuted church. Now, not every church does that, but it's, it's kind of like around the world. It started by Voice of the Martyrs, and that's what we recognize. Now, as, as the pastor said, I love coming to your church, by the way. And, it, you know, you went, thank you, thank you, thank you, all four of you. It's, um, I look forward to the pastor going on vacation. That's when I usually come, and I can't believe I'm so excited that he wasn't feeling well. And so, it's like, good, I'm glad you're, you're not feeling well and that you've asked me to preach. And so, since it's, it's the persecuted church, I thought I would share, not from my role as in the past president or now chancellor of CIU, but from my responsibility at Crossover, we just changed our name from Crossover Communications International to Crossover Global. And since it's the, the Sunday where many churches around the world are focused on the persecuted church, I thought we would look at that. And then you'll see why I'm sharing from my role as the president of Crossover Global. Now, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But I'm going to read first from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and then we'll end up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, when I think of persecution, I think of the Apostle Paul. When I think of the Apostle Paul, I think of the great chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, which is where he talks about all that he went through in order to take the message of Jesus Christ to the peoples of the world, the Gentile peoples of the world. Now, here's how you remember that chapter. Look up here, please. How do we write 2 Corinthians when we use the Roman numerals? It's a bar and a bar, right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, two more bars. So I just picture that, you know, here's Paul. He suffered so much, many times he was imprisoned. So that helps me remember that chapter. Now let me read just a few verses out of that chapter how Paul was persecuted. I'm going to pick up halfway through verse 23. Far more in, far more imprisonments. We only have just a few recorded in Scripture. Beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from the rivers, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my countrymen, in dangers from the Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. He just goes on and on and on. And by the way, I was thinking about this verse 
this morning about your pastor. It's verse 28 of chapter 11. Paul says, apart from these external things, the beatings, the imprisonments, apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So I was thinking of your pastor. You do not understand the pressure he carries as he seeks to pastor. You repented, didn't you? Um, that he carries as he pastors and shepherds you. Uh, I know a lot of pastors in the city. The one you have is a shepherd. And he's not a hireling. He's a shepherd. Hirelings come and they go. Yours has a calling. Okay, enough about your pastor. Let's talk about the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, why would he go through all that? Let's look at three reasons. So, uh, first let me give you why I'm sharing with you from crossovers. Uh, my, my hat is a crossover. The full title this morning is, Why Go Across the Sea, Across the Ocean, Other Side of the World, and suffer when there's so many spiritual needs, we could just go across the street, across the street from where you live, across the street from the church, just down the road. There's several subdivisions. We could go on the country club down there. There are plenty of spiritual needs there. And never have to miss a ball game where you win 77 to 16. Two Clemson fans. Um, USC did pretty well yesterday. That's kind of scary. It's a close call. So I figured it out. The Clemson fans come in the first service, and the USC, that's a unified church. That's very good. All right. So here, let me show you a little about crossover. We're in, today we're in 28 countries. Five of those countries are sending bases. So like we're in Brazil, where we mobilize Brazilians to serve as missionaries around the world. That little mission has become one of the largest Brazilian mission agencies in Brazil. We started 31 years ago in our basement and when we lived in Atlanta. We moved here 28 years ago, 28 and a half years ago. The, the little mission has grown to 140 missionaries now, not counting the office staff that serve and support, mobilize those missionaries. Our vision right now is by the year 2020 that we would plant 2,000 self-sustaining, in other words, they're not supported by outside finances, and self-led, they're not being led by missionaries, the missionary plants the church, grows it up, and moves on, that we plant 2,000 of those by the year 2020. To date, the last report, we've planted 1,130 churches, and in terms of where they are, think thumb, T-H-U-M-B. The T stands for tribal peoples. The H is for Hindu peoples. U, unreligious. M, Muslim. B, Buddhist. Now, most of our focus, most of our missionaries are in Muslim countries. India is so big, and our team's been there almost nine years now. We've gone through language acquisition, culture acquisition, and the churches in Nepal and in India they're just starting so quickly. It's much harder in the Muslim countries. That's my personally, my biggest heart of the five, T-H-U-M-B. But you can see here it's basically, basically 
600 churches among Hindus, 400 churches among Muslims, and 100 churches spread out among the other three. In terms of success, what do I mean by success? Have we been successful in training them and guiding them and leading them such that after three years from the day we plant the first, we have the first service of the new church plant, how many of those are self-led and um, self-supported? And you can see of the current churches, 26% are self-led, self-supported. 69% of all the churches we've planted are in that three-year process. So you can see two-thirds of the churches of that 1,100 churches have been in the last three years. And 5% have failed. Either the church planter or the missionary just could not finish or the persecution, which is often the case. And of those churches, about a third of them, because our little tagline is, we want to multiply church planters to plant multiplying churches. Family, if we... If we just add churches or add people coming to Christ, we will never reach the world because the, the world's population is multiplying. So we have to multiply faster if we're going to see the task of world evangelization accomplished in the name of Jesus made famous among all the peoples of the earth. So 20, about a third of our churches are second-generation churches or daughter churches or church plants from the churches we have planted. All right, so th this gives you an idea of crossover and the hat I'm wearing this morning and the heart that God's given me to see the Great Commission accomplished in this generation. All right, so let's go back to Paul. Why would he get behind these bars of persecution? Why do we celebrate on November 4th this year the persecuted church? Well, let me give you three reasons, please, from... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Three reasons. We'll just, um, I'll read along, you follow, please. Beginning with verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, so, so what does that mean? Namely, that God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not counting our trespasses against us. And he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, you and I are ambassadors for Christ. As though God himself were entreating through us, we beg other people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that he might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me give you three reasons why Paul would spend so much time behind these bars of persecution. Reason number one is his motivation. And I get this from the first three verses or so, verses 14 through 17. 
first four verses. And I've, I've put it in bold face here so you can see I'm trying to pull these from Scripture. And your pastor does a wonderful job where he takes the Scripture and he pulls out the principles and he applies it to what we're going through today. So here's, here's the principle in this passage. Number one, Paul is willing to spend a lot of time in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 because the love of Christ controlled him. We love Clemson football, don't we? First service. We love USC football. Let me tell you about a deeper love I've seen lately. Right after this service, I go to a funeral. My friend, it's really the father of my friend. My friend is one of my dearest friends. His father's 89. His mother just passed. She's 88. When Debbie and I would go and visit recently, when she's in the hospital, my 89-year-old friend would sit on the edge of the bed, and he'd stroke his 88-year-old wife's face, and he would say to us, not even looking at us, Isn't my bride beautiful? They've been married 67 years. You know, Debbie and I have been married 39 years, 9 months, and 15 days today. I don't know if she could put in 67 years with me. And he'd hold her hand. And he'd say, can you open those beautiful green eyes for us today? The whole time I'm taking videos in my mind. Say, oh God, make me a husband like that. He loves her. As good as football is, there are loves bigger than that, right? And as much as we love our sweethearts, The love of Christ should control us. So the question is, do the people of God today have that kind of motivation that they're willing to spend time behind the bars of persecution? uh, These are countries. I'm going to give you three illustrations of people today suffering persecution because they want to see the name of Jesus Christ made famous among the nations. This is Uzbekistan. Now, very few people know where the Stans are. The Stans are Central Asia. Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Azerbaijan is part of Central Asia, um, Afghanistan. You see all the Stans. So, in Uzbekistan, there are... 32 million people, it's 97% of the people are unreached with the gospel. The other 3%, most of those are Russian Orthodox. Crossover Global, we've planted 138 churches there. Now, I just want to give you some numbers. I don't want to get you some stories. Here's some stats. Then we'll go to stories. 32 million people there. It's the sixth most repressive government in the world. It's, um, in terms of church history, only three other countries have suffered more martyrdoms 
than the people of Uzbekistan, the Christians of Uzbekistan. It's, um, it fluctuates between 7th, 8th, and 9th. I just put here the 8th most persecuted church in, uh, currently. Uh, <clears throat> of course, it was part of one of the 15 republics of the former Soviet Union for 70 years. And right before the Soviet Union started breaking up, 1983 was the first recorded believer in decades. 1993, so two years after the Soviet Union had collapsed, there was only a few known believers. But you see then, as we get to the 2000s, God is doing something among Muslims today. In the 60s, it was in Africa. In the 70s, in Latin America. In the 80s, it was in China. In the 90s, it was the Soviet Union. Today, it's in Muslim countries, of which many of those are in the former Soviet Union. Now, when I say we've planted 1,130 churches, they're, they're not huge, wonderful, strong, beautiful churches like this one, Calvary Chapel. Here's an example of these churches. They're small. They're private. So, pastors up here, let's, let's, let's give God glory, church. Come on, let's give God glory. Over there, Debbie and I would come in maybe two hours before the church started. And then maybe 20 minutes later, the pastor and Heidi would come in after us. Why is that? Because they're not wanting to draw attention to themselves. And then when they're all gathered, maybe 12 of us, sometimes they're as big as 20, because they have to meet in secret. The pastor would go. And by the way, they're sitting on the floor because they're coming from Muslim backgrounds. These are, these are Muslims who've given their lives to Isa, to Jesus. And so the pastor would go, come on, church, let's give God glory. He'd go, come on, church, let's worship. And they would sing in a whisper, light a fire in my heart. They're singing in a whisper because they can't draw attention to themselves. Because then they might get turned into the police. And the police come and arrest them. Speaking of arrest, well, let me give you. Well, speaking of arrest, the leader of our ministry in Uzbekistan is Uzbek. He is a Muslim. When his sister came to Christ, he wanted to kill her. And then he came to Christ. And about two and a half years ago, not this fellow, it's a different fellow, he was arrested. And he has polio. Last night I dreamed about him. I dreamed it's a strange dream. His polio leg's about as big as my arm. But I, I dreamed last night it was as big as just a bone. Because, you know, this... I knew I'd be preaching this morning here, and, and the message is in my heart. And so just in my sleep, I'm thinking about all of this. And so he was arrested. They took a stick and started beating his polio leg so he would confess because he wasn't confessing. It was a trumped-up charge. So then they found out he was asthmatic, so they began blowing smoke in his face. You know, he's behind the bars of 2 Corinthians 11 because they wanted him to have an asthmatic reaction and feel like he was smothering and then they threatened to sodomize him. I mean, it was just wicked, awful stuff. This fellow on the screen, he's an Uzbek. I actually met him. I'd heard about him. I met him. He's one of the nationals that we've trained. And I met him in Kyrgyzstan. And when I met him, he was just recovering from 
a stabbing in the back. And the story was, he came to Christ. It's just His whole little town is Muslim. His wife came to Christ. So when he was away at work, his mother and his brother came and started beating up his wife so she would renounce Jesus Christ and revert back to Islam. In God's providence, he came home and was getting in the way, stopping the fight from his mother and his brother hurting his wife. So his brother grabbed a kitchen knife and stabbed his brother in the back, barely missing his kidney. So I asked him, I said, why are you here with us in Kyrgyzstan? Because we're training them how to plant churches. Translation, why are you going to go back there and plant a church? You've got to be out of your mind. He looks at me and goes, they need to know the gospel. Why would he why would he risk persecution, further persecution? One reason, the love of Christ controls him. Why would my friend not not give in to the trumped up charges and let him beat this little tiny leg? I mean, he just kind of drags it along. Because some things are more important in life than others. And his love for Jesus is at the top. There's a second reason why the Apostle Paul would spend a lot of time being persecuted for the cause of Christ. Let's look at the next few verses. Picking up with verse 18. Now, these things are from God. Notice how bold-faced God. I'm trying to show you where it's coming from Scripture. These things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul knew God had given him this ministry of reconciliation. But that's why he's willing to spend time behind these bars of persecution. The question is, are there people today willing to do the same thing? Let me take you to Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan's about 10 million people. It's 90, yes, 96% unreached. It's actually 85.9% Muslim, but there's some others on different faiths there that are unreached. And we've planted about 80 churches there. Now, we have some of the strongest leaders in all of Azerbaijan. And they are willing to risk persecution. And we'll share a little bit about that in just a second. Because they've captured the importance of the ministry that God has given them. The ministry of reconciliation. This is uh, just as one quick story. See this little gal up here? Um, you see the little deformity on her nose and her lips? You, you see that? Is it big enough to see? When she was born, her mother did not want her. So the day she was born, the little baby was thrown on the trash heap in Baku. Baku's the capital of Azerbaijan. The deformities for the rats came out from the trash heap and began to chew her nostrils and her lips. Well, God in his sovereignty had a passerby see her, scooped her up, took her to an orphanage. 
in the orphanages in Azerbaijan, they stay little boys and little girls until they're seven. She had a little best friend, a little, a little boy is her best friend. And then at age seven, the little boys go to boy orphanages, the little girls go to girl orphanages. When they reach 17, they don't have the social structure to support these children anymore, so they just turn them out to the streets. All her life, she'd been looking for love. And she was never adopted, perhaps because somebody wanted the perfect child. Like, which one of us are perfect? So she turns to an alternative lifestyle, a gay lifestyle, looking for love. And then one day she met one of our missionaries who had been given the ministry of reconciliation. He says, the love you're looking for can be found in God the Father through Isa, through Jesus. She gave her life to Christ, to Isa. And she became a follower. She joined the church. She was baptized. Between one and two years later, I'm not exactly sure on the timing. You remember the little seven-year-old boy? She was boys, uh, friends with in the younger orphanage. He showed up at the church. He had become a follower. And he saw her and he goes, Oh, I found you. I loved you then. And I love you today. And they got married. And just recently, they had a little baby girl themselves. Now look here. That ministry of reconciliation, it's not just with one person. It'll be generational. But the persecution they go through, I had to, this morning I went, oh no, I have their faces showing. I can't show these faces. These three, there are three leaders in Azerbaijan. And I was with them, at, we're in Kyrgyzstan, where I um, share about the person being stabbed, we, we brought from uh, maybe six different countries, we're training people on how to be better at church planting, and so I'm talking to three of them, just getting caught up, we're talking in English, because my uh, Azeri is zero, and so we're talking in English, and then suddenly the three of them go, it's very animated. That was my best Azari I can give you. And then one of them takes off. And then the other two turn back to me and go, where were we in our conversation? And I went, whoa, time out. What just happened? They said, oh, 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 yes. One of our friends, he just got out of jail about three days ago. He was in jail because they arrested him for smuggling Bibles into Azerbaijan. So he got out three days ago. Yesterday, he left the country to go get more Bibles, and he was smuggling them in today. We realized it was about time for him to be crossing through the, the border crossing, and we're going to call him to see if he got arrested again. <laughs> kind of like, don't you guys do that? And I'm like, You know, it's easy to talk about having a ministry of reconciliation. But for a guy to immediately get out of jail 
and go back and risk being thrown in again. You know, after a while, they kind of get tired of that. And they say, listen, we're going to throw you in jail long enough for you to learn your lesson. There's a third reason. Paul's motivation was what? The love of Christ controlled him. Paul also had a ministry, right? What was that ministry? A ministry of reconciliation. There's a third, and that's his ministry. I mean, excuse me, his message. And what is that message? Look at verses 20 and 21. It's as though God were making an appeal through him. The message was so, had so captured him. It was though God himself was speaking through him. And that message is the message of the gospel. Are there people today, God's people, that are so captivated by the message that they're willing to spend time between those 2 Corinthians chapter 11 bars of persecution to take the message of Christ to the nations. This is Turkey. Turkey's a tough place, but God's doing a work there. Most of our missionaries are in this particular country. We have a real heart for this country. And if you look at what's been happening, today we haven't gotten the most recent statistics yet. It comes from a group called the Silas Project. And these, they're so trusted, they can go to these little churches and find out exactly how many churches there are and how many believers there are. We think today there are about 5,200 followers of Christ in Turkey. Turkey has 80 million people population. And these 5,200 believers are made up, we think there are about 162 churches. Now, Crossover Global, we've started 30 of those. We're real excited about that. To give you an idea of how little access they have to the gospel, if you take Columbia, South Carolina, Metro, Lexington, Columbia, Irmo, um, Blythewood, Metro, about 500,000 people. I counted 20 years ago in the Yellow Pages 864 churches. If you, make, if you divide it, people per church, it's 579 people per church. So this church, you've already reached your quota. You can relax. The rest of them need to get to work. But if Turkey, the hundred, I just put 142 because that's, that's the last um, verified number that we have. If you take 142 churches and 80 million people, there's a church for every, one church for every 563,000 people. Basically, there'd be only one little bitty church. The biggest church over there is only 250 people. And there'd be one church for the entire city of Columbia. This is, this is our main leader. Um... He's been a missionary over there many, many years in Turkey. And he's there, and he's threatened often, but he's there because he knows he has a message from God. ISIS 
they blew up one church about a year and a half ago, wasn't it, baby? And the next Sunday, when he got to church, they had nailed on or taped somehow, attached a little note on the door of their little church that said, we got such and such a church this week, we're getting yours next week. So he tried to get as many people packed in church as he possibly could. I love it. It's like he's fearless because he has a message. There's a guy, we were in Jordan back in April when the airstrike was in Syria. And we got a bunch of phone calls asking us if we were okay. We were like two hours away. Of course we were okay. I'm glad people felt concerned for us. But when we were there, he, was, he told me this story. He said one of the Muslims that had been attending his church said, I need to make a confession to you, pastor. He said, what's that? He said, I came in under false pretenses. I was to find out what time of the week most of the people were here and you were here. Then I was to come back the following week with an explosive vest strapped to me and blow you all up. He said, when I walked through the door, he's 6'6". He wrapped his arms around this Muslim man, never seen him before, and he says, God loves you. Welcome to our church. He said, Pastor, it so shocked me. I said, I have to keep coming back to see if this stuff is for real. And he found that it is for real. That's our message, that God loves us. So let's go back to the question. Why should we go around the world and suffer behind the bars of 2 Corinthians 11, persecution, when there's so many spiritual needs all around us that we just go right across the street and still enjoy the ball games? Spiritual needs are everywhere. Just driving here this morning, well, Debbie was driving, and I was reviewing. And we passed exit 58. Where's the chilies? Is exit 58? 61. Passed 61. I looked over there. Thank you. I looked over there, and I saw a big sign that said cone construction. And I just smiled. Because 14 months ago, I had the privilege of sharing the message. God loves you. And he prayed to receive Christ. And he's in our Bible study. And he's growing. That made me happy. Spiritual needs are everywhere, right? But you know what? As Debbie and I drove here this morning, we passed umpteen churches. Now follow me. Spiritual needs are everywhere. But access to the message is not everywhere. There are places like Uzbekistan, Azerbaijan, Turkey. Very few churches. Very few followers of Christ. Turkey, it's legal to meet. Azerbaijan, 
to a point it's legal to meet. Uzbekistan, it's not even legal to meet. Unless you register, there's some hoops you can go through. But those tend to be controlled by the government. Access to the gospel is not everywhere. To get there, we may have to get behind the bars of persecution. So why would we do that? Because there's some loves that are higher than others. And my love for Jesus has to be higher than my love for comfort. Because they need to be reconciled to God. And God's given you and me that ministry. And because if we don't tell them the message that God loves them. It's not like they haven't heard it. It's they can't hear it. Because there's no one there to proclaim it. So why would Paul do 2 Corinthians 11? It's because Paul knew 2 Corinthians 5. Let's pray. Father God, we're not all called to be goers, but we're all called to be part of the Great Commission. Father, I pray that you would show every single person in this church what their specific role is to help see this generation evangelized. Or let me say it differently. That they would be committed to the evangelization of the world such that it could be completed in this generation. Father, there's some in here that will be goers. Father, I pray that you burden their hearts and make it clear to them. Some will be senders through their prayers and their giving. Some will be mobilizers. Some will be trainers. Father, all of us should be part. Lord, put on our each individual's mind. Make them aware what role they are to play, please. Even if it means enduring persecution and suffering. We ask this in the mighty, glorious, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. A name that we can proclaim publicly here and not be afraid. In his name we pray. Amen.